page 560. And it is quite long. I think, uh, I think we agreed when we prepared the service that it would be better for us to do alternate verses just to keep it moving, as long as you don't get stuck. So we need a good strong lead from that side um, to do the even verses, and we'll do the odd number verses on this side. Will that work? Okay. Let's stand. It will be more effective for us to do that. I'll... Um, We don't have any superscription, so we just start off. And this is to lead into our next song, a reminder to sing joyfully. So together, sing joyfully to the Lord, you righteous. It is fitting for the upright to praise him. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully and shout for joy. The Lord loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of his unfailing love. He gathers the waters of the sea into jars. He puts the deep into storehouses. For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded, and it stood firm. But the plans of the Lord stand firm forever, the purposes of his heart through all generations. From heaven the Lord looks down and sees all mankind. He who forms the hearts of all, who considers everything they do. A horse is a vain hope for deliverance. Despite all its great strength, it cannot save. To deliver them from death, and keep them alive in famine. In him our hearts rejoice, for we trust in his holy name. Amen. We remain standing to sing together. Evening, the first reading is from the book of Titus. Uh, chapter 1, verses 1 to 5, and this can be found in page 1198 in the Pew Bibles. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to further the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness, in the hope of eternal life, which God, who does not lie, promised before the beginning of time, and which now, at his appointed season, he has brought to light through the preaching trusted to me by the command of God our Saviour. To Titus, my true son in our common faith, grace and peace from God, the Father, and Christ Jesus our Saviour.
The reason I left you in Crete was that you might put in order what was left unfinished and appoint elders in every town as I, di- as I directed you. The second reading is still in Titus. Just glance over the page from verse 11 to 15. Chapter 2. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. These, then, are the things you should teach. Encourage and rebuke with all authority. Do not let anyone despise you. Thank you. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit would open our eyes, the eyes of our hearts, that we might see wonderful things from out of your word this evening. For Jesus' sake, amen. Well, it's lovely to be back. Um, I've been a couple of times uh, to Little Shelford before, preached here. I've been a great privilege, and it's lovely to be back. So thank you, Simon, for the uh, invitation. Uh, What is God's strategy for Little Shelford? Or for the village that you're from? What is it? What is a strategy? Well, a strategy is a plan of action designed to achieve a long-term or overall aim. Simon at least should or need to know this if he's to provide the kind of leadership that he has been placed here to provide. But it's not for him alone. It is for all of us to know as God's people what it is that God has as a strategy. What is he aiming for and how does he want us to get there? I don't know whether any of you have had the chance to see the film 1917, which has had a lot of um, advertising on the media. Uh, Mandy and I went to see it a few weeks ago and I won't give away the story, but um, there are two Lance Corporals who in 1917 are given... Uh, the, an aim, and are left to work out how best to achieve that aim. And that reminded me of my own army background when we used to be given an aim. What is, what is it that we're wanting to achieve? And then we would consider what are the factors that are involved in meeting that, What possible courses open? Are there variations that we could do? And then eventually, uh, if we went through this whole thing, we would come to a plan. I have to say that um, two Lance Corporals in 1917 were set something that was probably um, a little bit unrealistic, but uh, I will leave you to watch it. It's well worth going to. Well, what is God's given aim for his world within which we can uh, seek out and and apply his strategy, his way of getting there. Well, I'm going to tell you. 
because the Bible seems to be very clear on this. Uh, He wants his salvation to reach to the ends of the earth. That is um, picked out of Isaiah chapter 49, uh, where it's talking about the servant of the Lord and his aim, which is salvation to the ends of the earth. But it's picked up in many different parts of the Bible. Wherever you open the Bible, actually, you can probably find evidence of what is God's heartbeat. Let me give you a few very common and well-known examples. Matthew 28 finishes um, like this. Make disciples. Go and make disciples of all nations. You can see the similarity with salvation to the ends of the earth. Luke, the end of Luke's gospel. Uh, Repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations. Acts chapter 1 verse 8, the second book of Luke. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, says Jesus, and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So, quite clearly, God, as he tells us through Peter, the apostle in 2 Peter 3, is patient with us, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. And that is why Jesus has not returned yet. So God's given aim is salvation to the ends of the earth. But what are the ends of the earth like in a context such as you have here in the Shelfords? Well, I've done a little bit of study. I've, uh, uh, one of the wonderful things about the internet is you can do some, some research, and I've been reading up a little bit about some of the family of whales up there. But I've also read about William Favell, um, an MP of Norman descent who lived from 1396 to 1460, so perhaps a little dated uh, for current 21st century uh, Little Shelford. But I've read about the whale family with Sir Charles, who fought in the Napoleonic Wars. Uh, He was responsible for taking the uh, uh, Guadalupe, and he was the last um, governor of Martinique before it got handed back to the French. His son was killed at the siege of Lucknow in India, and eight of his grandsons and great-grandsons were killed in World War I. Sir Charles, it says, illustrate, I'm sure there was someone from All Saints involved in putting this together, illustrated courage and energy of a Christian whose only shield and hope is salvation by the cross. Then I've looked at uh, censuses and seen uh, something of this particular area, and I've included Sawston and other places in this. Uh, It's got a very low percentage of... um, of non-white Brits, you've got the lowest proportion of unemployment benefits, claimants, of any constituency in the country. Um, You have replaced Labour with the Lib Dems as the runners-up in uh, this constituency. You voted 61% to remain And according to the census of 2001, 70% of people in Little Shelford reckoned that they were Christian. Well, the great thing is that God's strategy 
of salvation to the ends of the earth is actually the same in Sauston as it is in Suriname in northern South America. It is the same in Little Shelford as it is in a place like Libya. In the passage we have in front of us, we have another unique place. Little Shelford is unique, and so was Crete. And I must uh, put a a little caveat at this point, because this morning when I was preaching on this, it was felt that I was being unfair on the Cretans. Uh, But actually, if you look, it's a fairly unique place. You look at chapter 1 and verse 12... And uh, Paul says, one of Crete's own prophets. So it wasn't me calling the Cretans uh, uh, rude things. It was one of their own. Cretans are always liars, evil brutes, lazy gluttons. And it's not as if Paul disagrees. The following verse goes on. This saying is true. Therefore rebuke them sharply so that they will be sound in the faith wouldn't appear to be a particularly fertile field uh, for planting new churches, establishing churches, and preaching the gospel. It was a bit of a mess by all accounts, even in that brief thing. Well, I don't know what Little Shelford is like. I, I, I can't tell what people here are like, but I suspect that maybe there is a, a, a stronger exterior of doing well, but maybe we're a bit of a mess, as was the island of Crete. Well, how is God's strategy to change for Little Shelford? Well, the aim is the same. Look with me at chapter 2, verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. And actually the way to achieve that, of of salvation reaching to the ends of the earth or to all people, the way to achieve that hasn't changed either, because that has also been given to us by God. So briefly, let's look at God's strategy for Little Shelford as shown in this letter of Paul to Titus. Four things, very briefly, that can be applied here in Little Shelford as it did in Messy Crete. First of all, it involves a strategy of rescue. It is a strategy of rescue. Just follow through just to get a glimpse of this in some of these verses. Chapter 1, verse 3, he refers to God our Savior. Chapter 1, verse 4, you've got Christ Jesus, our Savior. Jesus also means Savior. So you've got Christ, Savior, our Savior. Then chapter 2, verse 10, talks about the teaching about God, our Savior. Chapter 2, verse 11, for the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. Chapter 2, verse 13, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, Savior, Savior Christ. Chapter 3, verse 4, the kindness and love of God, our Savior, has appeared. Chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, he saved us 
and then later the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, Savior Christ, our Savior. I think we probably get the gist, don't we, in this fairly short letter as to what he's after. What is the great aim? Well, it is clear, and, uh, the stra- uh, and his strategy is one of rescue. It would seem, therefore, that God is involved in a rescue mission. And the thing about a rescue mission is that you rescue someone from some kind of peril, uh, and you take them to a place that's rather better, whether it be uh, from the sea into a lifeboat or into something better or to safer. It's not, you don't take them out of the sea and then plop them back in the other side of the boat. And the Bible has examples of that kind of thing. I love the one in Amos chapter 5 where a, a man, you can imagine, is running away from a lion and he's sort of relieved as he stands behind the tree and the lion uh, disappears but suddenly finds that there's a bear behind the tree. Or he goes into the house and uh, is relieved that he's escaped both the lion and the bear, but he leans against the wall and there's a snake that bites him. Well, that is not what this is talking about. This is a, a rescue. This is what the Bible gives various examples of. The Bible normally talks about rescue from, as, as uh, the people of Israel from slavery in Egypt to living in the promised land, flowing with milk and honey, from Babylon, where they were in exile, to Jerusalem. And those are just small Old Testament models of the big rescue of being slaves to sin and moving to being sons and daughters of God. And that through a unique rescuer the Lord Jesus. As uh, we're told in Matthew's gospel, you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins, Matthew 1. So God's strategy is one of rescue. And I need reminding of that as I work on the kinds of things that you heard from the interview earlier. It is so easy to forget what it's all for. But it is God's strategy is one of rescue. It's easy to sideline it. There are always more urgent things, urgent needs around us to attend to. All seem bigger, but we need to be saved. It's as simple as that. Secondly, then, this rescue, this strategy of rescue comes through the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, we've spoken of Jesus Christ as the unique rescuer. And in chapter 2, verse 11, it says, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. Well, that is what fairly recently we will have celebrated in terms of thinking of Jesus' first coming at Christmas. And the word in our Bibles there, chapter 2, verse 11, which says appeared, describes that something that had been invisible has been made visible. And of course, in that example of Christmas, God the Son, who no one has ever seen God, becomes visible. John's Gospel says the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. 
It has already happened. It has occurred. And because of the life of that Son of God made visible, his life and death, his rescue is open and available to all. But there's also a future appearing in chapter 2, verse 13. While, he says, we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing, notice that word again, of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And the uh, season of Advent before Christmas is the season in which the church remembers uh, or reminds itself of the appearing that has actually not yet happened. We've not had this. This is the appearing when the now invisible Jesus will be made visible again at his appearing, whenever that happens. But the question remains, what about now? We can look back to his appearing, his being made visible once, and we can look that way to see his appearing, his becoming visible again when the Father sends him again to finish all things. But what about now? Between these two appearings? Well, we are told in chapter 1, verses 2 to 3, in the hope of eternal life, which God, who does not lie, promised before the beginning of time and which now at his appointed season he has brought to light through the preaching entrusted to me by the command of God our Savior. Isn't it wonderful to hear as Simon said earlier the God who does not lie in an island which according to what we've already read an island of Cretans who are always liars we're told. Yet here is a God who never lies, promised before the beginning of time, and which now at his appointed season, he has, as it says in verses 2 and 3, brought to light through the preaching entrusted to me by the command of God our Savior. The words brought to light there are from the same root word that is used for Jesus' appearing, once when he was made visible and he's appearing at the end of time when he will once again be made visible and so it seems to say that the way that Jesus appears now the way he becomes visible now is through as it says the preaching of him by his people his witnesses isn't that remarkable his people Speaking of Jesus, make him, by the Holy Spirit's power, visible to people now. That happened to me uh, in my teenage years. Someone was speaking to me of Jesus, and he was made visible to me. I had been blind before, but then I saw. It's wonderful. It's wonderful news. And it's why Simon and all of us involved in the preaching of the word need to keep remembering to put it central to all we do and must never neglect it and we need to trust that God's word spoken out will do its work and not lose heart even when it appears to be the last possible thing that we should be investing our time and energy in it's not wonderfully through the programs or the brilliance of the speaker but through the simple preaching of the word of God 
So God's strategy involves a rescue plan made known through the proclamation of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thirdly, that is achieved through rightly ordered churches. Achieved through rightly ordered churches. Paul, in writing to to Titus, reminds him what he expects of him in verse 5 of chapter 1. He says, the reason I left you, Titus, in Crete was that you might put in order what was left unfinished and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. Well, the words, again, there, put in order, are like a uh, mean to straighten out something that is crooked, uh, like a, a piece of Uh, of cutlery or something like that that maybe has got bent and you try to straighten it out, you bend it back into its proper shape. Or it's to mend what is broken. So if you look up the Greek word which is used here and you then look up on Google, I found a mobile phone repair shop in northern Cyprus uh, that had just this word, to mend what is broken, uh, usually the screen in my case. Well, here in Crete, the idea is to make good what is lacking in these newly formed churches. And to do that, Titus was to be involved in appointing elders, presbyters, what uh, the Church of England calls priests, in every town. Well, what kind of elder is needed in God's church if God's church is to carry out his strategy of salvation to the ends of the earth? Chapter 1, verse 6 begins a list of requirements. And in some ways, the list appears very unremarkable. These are qualities that you would hope any Christian should exhibit But notice a number of things. We won't go into it in great detail. First, it doesn't start with a full CV, as if the most important thing for the elder is to be specially qualified. No, that's a great relief to me, I have to say. But notice also that it starts the requirements behind the front door in the family life of the elder. He is to be blameless, chapter 1, verse 6. That doesn't mean sinless perfection, because that has only ever been achieved by the one man, Jesus Christ. But there should be no glaring faults in the lives of the elder that would need reproof that had not already been dealt with. As some of the questions I used to ask candidates for uh, crosslinks, and which I now ask candidates for ministry in different churches. Is Simon, for example, being faithful to his wife, Susu? Those are the kind of important questions we need to, need to ask about because hypocrisy, what I mentioned earlier, the, the, the uh, not practicing what we say we believe is easy to spot by anyone and not least behind the door when we've closed our front door by our families. But there are other common Christian features in verses 7 and 8. 
And only in verse 9 does he get to gifting. He calls it holding firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught. That means we're not to invent stuff, but by holding on to the trustworthy word as it's been taught, he will be able to encourage and to refute. Well, many people ask me what a bishop does. And the answer is I I don't know much of the time. One of the key things though, is that a bishop is an elder, a priest, or just um, like others, someone who teaches the trustworthy message as he's received it, and he also has the function of appointing and overseeing elders, just like Titus was given that in Crete. And it is so easy for us to go off the rails that that is why it's such an important function that is given to Titus here. And as the passage says twice in verses 6 and 7, the elders selected must be blameless. That's why, well, why is it so important for an elder to be blameless and to hold on to the trustworthy message? Well, fourthly and finally, so that the church is a people who are transformed for the sake of rescuing others. It's a bit of a mouthful. So the church is a people who are transformed for the sake of rescuing others. We've already noted, with the caveat, that the Cretans, even by their own estimation in chapter 1, verse 12, were always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. They were lying, they were lazy, and they were lecherous. It's not great material from which to bring about a rescue. But, chapter 2, verse 11, for the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people, even to people like the people of Crete. But he doesn't just leave them to carry on as they were before, having rescued them. You don't rescue someone and then just leave them in the lifeboat. Because the grace of God, which has appeared to all men, has a further function. Chapter 2, verse 12, it teaches us, it schools us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. So there's the negative and the positive, to say no and to say yes to different things. And this is what Paul refers to elsewhere as, chapter 2, verse 14, eager to do what is good. Chapter 2, verse 7, in everything, set them an example by doing what is good. Chapter 3, verse 1, be ready to do whatever is good. Chapter 3, verse 8, devote themselves, get them to devote themselves to doing what is good. Chapter 3, verse 14, our people must learn to devote themselves to doing what is good. Paul's very good at uh, making sure we've got the message, isn't he? Well, that's not just for bishops and pastors or priests like uh, Simon, but for everyone. And hence the instructions in between the passages we've read are to older men, to older women, to younger men and younger women, which seems to include most people. And if you get out of any of those categories, 
It's to servants and to masters as well. Well, we should all, therefore, as Christians, be showing the qualities that would mark uh, us out as different from other people here in Little Shelford. And in the case of uh, Titus and the Cretans, it would mark them out as very different from the ordinary Cretan person. Recently in the Church of England, the um, House of Bishops have, have actually made a really helpful statement in, called a pastoral guidance uh, to, uh, for uh, that elders or priests like Simon should uphold biblical marriage. And, and they've, they d- describe what that means. But the sad thing is they don't go on to allow that practice to be, uh, to be used for everyone. There's a sort of kind of a, a difference. Yeah, it's okay. it's okay, it's got to be applied to Simon, but don't worry the rest of you. But it is to be expected. God's standards are expected of all his people. And what is the purpose of doing good? Chapter 2, verse 5, so that no one will malign the word of God. Chapter 2, verse 8, so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. Put to shame, have nothing evil to say about us. Chapter 2, verse 10, so that in every way they will make the teaching about God our Savior attractive. Chapter 3, verse 14, so as to provide for urgent needs and not live unproductive lives. It's all for the sake of outsiders. Alongside the proclaiming of Jesus Christ must be the living of transformed lives. Well, in case this needs underlining, I hardly think it does. But anyway, uh, in case it does, look with me at chapter 3, verse 3. Paul says this to Titus. At one time, we, that's Paul and Titus, too, were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. So he's saying that's what we were like, and that's what the Cretans, the Christian Cretans, had been like before being rescued. And yet Titus should now be looking for people who live consistent Christian lives, and he goes on in verse 4 to describe what that looks like. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us not because of righteous things we have done, so we have no right to put ourselves above anyone else, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. So we have seen what God's plan, his strategy, is not only for his world, but also for Little Shelford. It's a strategy of rescue, for salvation uh, is coming in the last times through the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is achieved through rightly ordered churches with godly, competent elders instructing and rebuking, uh, 
and the purpose is so that the people of God are transformed in their lives for the sake of outsiders. Doesn't seem particularly new or perhaps not particularly exciting, but it is the way that God carries out his plan. What an amazing God we have. Let's pray to him now. Father, we thank you that you don't just leave us where we have been, but you long to see the salvation that you have achieved in the Lord Jesus Christ reach to the ends of the earth, including villages here in Cambridgeshire. Please, Lord, uh, we pray that you will make us what you will so that we will perform our function here of proclaiming Christ, of living transformed lives, and therefore pointing people in the direction of the Lord Jesus Christ so that they may be saved before he comes again. Thank you for doing it. Please continue. Please be patient with us and help us to remember that you don't want any to perish, but all to come to a knowledge of Jesus. We ask that in his name. Amen.